You smell that? Chlorine? No, that is freedom, my friend. Smells like there's too much chlorine in there to me. No, my friend, that is the sweet smell of freedom. Daddy, my eyes are burning again. I told you not to open them under the water, sweetheart. But I'm wearing my goggles. Off you go. What were we talking about? Chlorine? No, freedom. Yes, the sweet smell of freedom. You know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't smell it somewhere. The freedom that I have of choosing ribeye over sirloin. Freedom that I have to watch my son play his baseball games, knowing that he has the freedom of making anything out of himself that he wants. With lots and lots of practice. The freedom that I have of choosing charcoal over gas. I smell freedom. I smell an explosion. What was that? Smell dinner. Ha <laughs> ha! God bless America! He already has. Indeed he has. A lot. A lot. You know what? It's worse. America's better off than the vast majority of countries in the world. Yeah, I mean, think about it. God has blessed America with countless uh, numbers of men and women who were willing to give their lives so that we can live in a country that is run by its citizens rather than a dictator, right? And not only that, but think about this. I have the God-given freedom to speak my mind and not have to worry about being imprisoned. Think about this. We live in a country that, like, no matter your age, your race, your gender, your religious preference, we were all created equal. Created, right, means there has to be a creator, and that creator is God. And not only that, I have the freedom on any given Sunday, for that matter, any day of the week, to worship God wherever I want, however I want. Why do I have that freedom? Because of God. You know what? I stopped listening about a quarter of the way through, but you had me at God bless America. I didn't say that. You did. <laughs> I did say that. You're right. Oh, I'll said this. W-W-A-L-D? What would Abe Lincoln do? Think about that, my friend. What would Abe Lincoln do? Probably use less lighter fluid. In honor of today's holiday, I put together a little trivia test to see how well you know your July 4th trivia. Okay, here's the first question. Which president was born on the 4th of July? Ronald Reagan? Calvin Coolidge? Oh, you guys are reading ahead of me. <laughs> Martin Van Buren or Martin Sheen? Don't say Martin Sheen. <laughs> Which president was born on July 4th? Anybody know? Oh, not Van Buren. Calvin Coolidge. Oh, yeah, there you go. So you learned something already today. Okay. Which two patriots died on July 4th? 1826. Patrick Henry and John Hancock, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, Francis Scott Key and Benjamin Franklin, or Paul Revere and the Raiders? 
B. Very good. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. All right. Which New York Yankee threw a no-hitter on July 4th, 1983? Dave Forgetti, Goose Gossage, Mariano Rivera, or Babe Ruth? See, good guess. No. If it's not Steve, what would it be? Hey, that's right. Thank you, baseball statisticians. Dave Rigetti threw a no-hitter on July 4th. All right. Which element has added the fireworks to create a blue color? Carbon, calcium, copper, or Corinthians? <laughs> copper. Excellent. Which of these people are also U.S. citizens? The people of Jamaica, the Virgin Islands, Costa Rica, or Gotham City? The Virgin Islands, that's right. I tried to treat you with Costa Rica because Puerto Rico, yes. Costa Rica, no. Uh, what was the first capital city of the U.S.? Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, New York City, New York, or Dollywood, Tennessee? Philadelphia is what I would have guessed. Actually, New York City, New York, was our first capital. Yeah, I didn't know that. I just learned that. All right, two more. What is the official motto of the U.S.? E pluribus unum, out of many, one, in God we trust, land of the free, or home of the whopper? <laughs> D, no, yeah, B, in God we trust is actually our national official motto. And uh, my wife just showed me an article that shows that all 50 constitutions of all 50 states reference uh, God in their constitution. Okay, here's the last, hardest question. Who starred in the July 4th movie, Independence Day? Was it Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Sean Penn? <laughs> no, wait, wrong Sean Penn. Will Smith or Paul Smith? <laughs> oh, I love that picture of Paul. That was worth it doing this sermon, just for the show, Paul's Heisman pose. But who was it? Yeah, Will Smith. Excellent. Well, today is a special holiday where we celebrate the founding of our country and its many freedoms. Uh, but this morning, I want to focus on a believer's freedoms, uh, the freedoms that we have in Christ. And I want to look at what Christ has set us free from, past tense, what he is setting us free from, present tense, and what he will set us free from, future tense. So first, if you're a believer... Jesus has set you free from the penalty of sin. Past tense. Okay? Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Isn't that great? The Bible says that all of us are sinners. We've all disobeyed God. And the punishment for disobeying God is the death penalty. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Okay? That death results in the death of my spiritual body eventually. But it also results, even more importantly, in the death of my relationship with God. Spiritual death. And that's... And, and that's such bad news that we wouldn't have anything to celebrate today or any other day if that's all there was to the story. But Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but 
the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God wants to give us eternal life as a gift. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place so that God the Father could take Jesus' righteousness and cover us in Jesus' righteousness instead of our own sinfulness. And Romans 3.20 says, says, says this right, 3.22 says, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To all who believe. I just love that. Righteousness comes from believing in Jesus, recognizing that I am a sinner and that I need a Savior and that Jesus died on the cross in my place. I stop trying to earn my way to heaven by being a better person. I stop comparing myself to other people, trying to figure out if I'm better than other people, and maybe God will look at me favorably. No, I forget about everything that I am or that I do, and I place all of my trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus did for me. That's the beauty of it. It's not about me. It's completely about Jesus. Um, That's the shocking plot twist that makes Christianity different from every other religion in the history of the world, that we don't earn our way to heaven, that God doesn't accept us because of what we do, but simply because of our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. It's so beautiful. In fact, I think I know why this is the most favorite verse in the Bible. In fact, we're going to go through John 3.16, and I want to hear you guys Fill in the blanks. I'll point to you. I want to hear it loud like in the magic shows I do for kids. Let's try. I'll see how you do. This is another test. John 3.16 for... Oh, nice. So loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever in him should not perish but have... Oh, good. See, now I know all the version that all of you grew up with, too. Yeah, if you said everlasting life or eternal life. But that's beautiful. If you have believed in Jesus as your Savior, you have eternal life. And Jesus' words apply to you. Let me show you another verse. John 5, 24. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life has crossed over, past tense. Freedom from the penalty of sin is something that we enjoy today. It's a done deal. Our sins were taken care of 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross for us. In fact, the Old Testament had a great picture, looking forward to this day. Um, um, And it's a passage about a scapegoat. And let me tell you, this is my all-time favorite passage in all of Leviticus. <laughs> okay, all right. But seriously, out of all the epic stories in Leviticus that make it such a hard book to put down, of all the great promises that so many people choose their life verses from, you know, out of all those great passages that make it a favorite Bible book of so many people today, this is the one that I, I just go to. Leviticus 16:20 20 through 22. Okay. And this is looking forward to the day when Jesus would take care of my sins. But it says, when Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar. And so this was something that happened every year on the day of atonement. 
It says, he shall bring forward the live goat. Okay, this is dramatic. Okay, he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. Okay, he shall send the goat away into the desert. And the goat, and the care of a man appointed for the task, and the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. Okay, so the picture is, the high priest transfers all the people's sins to this little goat. Okay, and then they let him go into the desert. He's an escaped goat. He escapes out of the camp into the desert. And today that's been shortened to scapegoat, somebody who bears the blame for another. But this little goat, that's the picture, is that he takes the people's sins away. It shows us that our sins can be removed from our record by transferring them to a substitute. And now we know that the substitute is Jesus Christ, that he came down, substituted in for us on the cross, bore all of our sin and blame on the cross and took care of it for us. It's a beautiful picture. And you can imagine, you know, the priest preaching that, that, look, God is showing us that we can remove all of our sins forever and ever, and they're never coming back. And in the, out of the corner of his eye, he sees that the goat sometimes would turn around and try to wander back into the camp. Okay? And if that happens, that just ruins the whole illustration. Okay? So, to make sure that didn't happen... They sent a guy out with the goat. And it says, in the care of a man appointed for the task. He was a shepherd, and he followed the goat. And if the little goat tried to turn around, the shepherd would herd him towards the edge of a steep cliff and shove his little goat butt right over the edge. <laughs> okay? Really. And the point was, that goat was not coming back. All right? That's how God feels about our sins. Jesus took care of our sins, and they are not coming back to haunt us ever again. It's like the guy, it reminds me of the guy who got tired of shaving himself every morning. So one day he tells his wife, um, you know what, I'm going to go to the barbershop and get my shave each morning. So he heads down to Bert's barbershop. And uh, that day Bert wasn't there. Um, his wife Grace was working the shop. So Grace gave the guy the shave and said that'll be 20 bucks. And the guy thinks, wow, 20 bucks, that's, that's kind of a lot for a shave. But he pays the 20 bucks, goes off to work. And the next morning he wakes up, he looks in the mirror. His face is just as smooth as the day before after he got the shave. He says, wow, 20 bucks, that's kind of expensive. But, you know, at least it lasts a couple days. So he goes to work, comes home. The next morning he wakes up, face just as smooth. Two weeks later, he still can't find a single whisker on his face. He's like, this is amazing. I'm going to go into the shop and tell them what a good job they do. So he goes to Bert's barbershop. He walks in, and this time Bert is there. And so he says to Bert, he says, well, it's amazing. I got a shave here two weeks ago, and I still can't feel a single whisker growing back. And Bert says, well, of course not. You were shaved by grace. Once shaved, always shaved. <laughs> the... All right. That's a little eternal security humor. And the... Yeah. <laughs> wow, thank you. I owe you. Okay. Where were you first service? <laughs> All right. Anyway, 
We have freedom from the penalty of sin, past tense. Because of that, we know we will have freedom from the presence of sin, future tense. Okay? A day is coming when we will be with God and there will be no more sin. Okay? And if you're watching carefully, you'll notice we skipped over present. Okay? That was on purpose. We're going to come back to the present. But right now, I want to think about the future. After we die um, or after the rapture happens, when we'll be with God and we'll be free from the presence of sin. No more temptations. No more sicknesses. Oh, how wonderful that's going to be. In fact, Paul says it's going to be so great that it makes the trials of this life look like nothing in comparison. Like, why even worry about it? Look at Romans 8. Paul says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. All right, see, later. This is in the future. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. And then I skipped a little section that talks about the natural world and how because of our sin, there's a curse on the natural world. And even the natural world isn't all that it's supposed to be. And it's waiting for this day, just like we are. So I I summarized all that as the creation groans as it waits for that day. And we believers also groan, because we're also waiting for that day, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of this future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, free from the presence of sin and its consequences. We, too, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. See, we got the hope when we were saved, when we were freed from the penalty of sin. That was our guarantee that someday we are going to be free from the presence of sin. But that day is not here yet. So Paul says if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait for it patiently and confidently. That's where we are today. We're going to be set free from sin. The earth is going to be set free from the curse. And there is an awesome government coming. Okay, look at Revelations 19.6. John says, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd. And it was so loud and powerful. He says, or, or like the roar of mighty ocean waves. Or maybe like the crash of loud thunder. But whatever it sounded like, this awesome chorus says, Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Oh, isn't that going to be a great day when Jesus reigns on earth? Now, Jesus is not reigning on earth today, just just so you know. If you look around at this mess of a world, Jesus is not in charge right now. But a day is coming when Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set up the greatest government the world has ever seen. It's not going to be Republican. It's not going to be Democrat. It's not even going to be Democratic. It's going to be a dictatorship. The first perfectly good dictatorship in the history of the world. And Jesus, God, is going to be the high king of all the universe. And there's going to be no votes. We're just going to do what he says. And we are going to be so glad to do it. So glad to follow such a wise and 
caring and inspiring leader. It's going to be an awesome, awesome day. But the interesting thing is, maybe one of what I want to bring to your attention, is that God uh, is going to reign as a dictator. But he's also going to delegate authority to people to rule under him. It's interesting, huh? Look at Revelations 22, 3 through 5. No longer will there be any curse. This is talking about this, this period of time we're think, looking in the future when the curse is lifted. He says the throne of God. This is where the dictatorship is going to be centered. God's throne and of the Lamb will be in the city. What city? Well, if you backed up just a little bit in Revelations 22, you can read about the new Jerusalem. God's capital city. It comes down out of heaven and lands on the new earth. Okay, God's throne is there. That's why it says, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants, that's us, will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. God is going to reign, and it says the saints are also going to reign over the new earth with him. Okay? And we don't think about that much. Okay? But remember when the rich young ruler came to see Jesus and, and he wanted to convince Jesus that, that he was good enough to get into heaven on his own terms, you know, by being a good person. And, and Jesus wanted to show him, no, you're not that good. Um, so Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, which that's the requirement for getting to heaven apart from trusting in Jesus. So Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And, and the rich young ruler realized, oh, no, okay, he wasn't going to be perfect. He didn't want to get to heaven on God's terms. He wanted to do it on his own terms, and he fell short, and he walked away sad. But Peter was listening, and Peter heard this mention of treasure in heaven, and Peter was like, treasure in heaven? Oh, we're shoo-ins, okay? And so he says to the other disciples, hey, come here, come here. And they go and ask Jesus. It says, then Peter answered him and said, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? All right? And if I was Jesus, I would have just laughed. I would have said, you left everything, Peter, for me? What did you leave? Pile of stinky fishing nets? That's what you left for me? Peter, did you ever think what I left for you? Okay? I came down from the glories of heaven to live on this earth and suffer and die for you? He didn't get on Peter's case. He was so kind and gracious. And instead of berating Peter, he gives him an amazing promise to Peter and the disciples. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, at this time in history that we're talking about, when the earth is made new, the curse is removed, we get our new bodies, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne the throne that we just read about in the capital city, the New Jerusalem, Jesus says, you fellows who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Isn't that a great promise? Jesus said to the disciples, you guys will also have thrones. You guys, each one of you will be a leader of one of the 12 tribes of Israel in my eternal kingdom. So I'm sorry, Scott, if you were thinking that might be a good position for you in God's eternal kingdom. Those 12 positions are filled, okay? But don't worry, don't worry. The parable of the talents shows that every single one of us 
has the opportunity to use our talents during this lifetime to prepare ourselves for specific responsibilities in eternity. Okay? We're going to talk about the parable of the talents in a minute. But this brings us to the present freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. All right? Like I said, sin is all around us right now. Flip through the TV stations, you know, or the radio stations, or listen to what your kids hear at school. Sin and its effects are all around us in this world. But we don't have to give in to the temptations and the influence of the sinful world. We have the freedom to live above the power of sin right now. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers, were called to be free. That's right now. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. He says, you can live free right now. And he gives them a command. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. He says, don't do it because we can do it. Okay, we could do it. We're tempted to do it. But we don't have to anymore. God has given us the weapons we need to live holy and righteous lives right now in the present These weapons, the Bible tells us, are primarily the Bible itself, His Word and prayer, both of which purify us from the inside out and connect us to God, both of which are empowered and brought to life and made effective by God's Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. The third member of the Trinity, God Himself, lives in us right now and helps us use those weapons, weapons, helps us interpret, understand, and apply the Bible to our lives. It teaches us how to pray like we ought to. These are powerful weapons for living free from the power of sin in this present time. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. It talks about these weapons that God has given us. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Okay, We don't just grit our teeth and try to power through with sheer determination. Um, in our own strength. No, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We have weapons the world can't even comprehend. Right? God's Holy Spirit living inside of us? How can the world even imagine that? Or letters from God written specifically to us, telling us exactly how the world works, what's true, how we should live. Um, We have a direct line of communication to God, the creator of the universe. We can talk to him anytime we want about anything we want to discuss with him, anything in our daily lives. How can the world even imagine that? Paul says, no, on the contrary, our weapons are so different. They, our weapons, have divine power to demolish strongholds. The illustration you always hear with this verse is divine powers, divine dunamis. Uh, the Greek word that we distantly derive our word dynamite from. They always talk about God's power. He's like dynamite, you know. And I thought it's appropriate today because it's July 4th. And tonight as you're watching, you know, to be a reminder. That's like the power of the weapons God has given us to blow up the world's strongholds. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And... Listen to this. We take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Okay? Note that it's our 
thoughts that we want to take captive to make them obedient to Christ. Because the spiritual battle is primarily right here in our minds. And the ultimate goal is to learn to think like Jesus Christ. Okay? To learn to evaluate every situation like Jesus would. Because God knows that our thoughts control our actions. And if we learn to think about every situation right, we'll respond to every situation right. We'll think and act like Jesus would. And now why would God be so concerned that we learn to think and respond like Jesus? Well, there are lots of reasons, I'm sure many that we could give out here. So I want to point out one that maybe, again, I don't think we think about too often. And it comes from the parable of the talents. And that's very familiar. You know the parable. There's a ruler. He goes away to a far country to be crowned rule, crowned king, and he's coming back to rule. And that was something that they knew from, from living under Rome, that the, the person would go off, be crowned by Rome, come back, and rule in the area. So this was very familiar to them. The parable says when the king comes back, he rewards his servants with varying levels of responsibility. I mean, some got authority over ten cities, some authority over five cities, etc. But they were rewarded with varying levels of responsibility based on their faithfulness to the king during his absence. All right? And the application is obvious. In fact, I've looked this up in tons of commentaries, and every single one I read agrees on the application which is actually pretty rare for a parable. This is one of the clearest parables that says Jesus has gone away. He's coming back. He'll be crowned king, come back to rule on earth, and he will reward his servant, that's us, according to how faithfully we served him during his absence. Okay? That's the, that's the perspective from the parable of the talents. That, that when you're tempted... Day in and day out, when you face troubles and difficulties, personality conflicts, sicknesses, financial tests, heartaches, betrayals, God is toughening you up. He's growing you into a person of significance, of weight, of maturity, of depth, of character. He's teaching you to think like Jesus Christ in every situation. He's teaching you to think like the kind of person that he wants to delegate authority to in his kingdom forever and ever and ever. Think about that. We have the potential to reign with Christ in the greatest government this world has ever seen or ever will see. So, We don't just look forward to that future day when we'll be free from the presence of sin and we'll see God face to face and we'll live on the new earth and enjoy the new Jerusalem, the capital city, and worship and magnify and serve God and reign with him. We don't just look forward to it. I mean, we do look forward to it. But we also prepare for it. Okay? We prepare today for that day. Look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Those, that's their Olympic games, okay? They, those Olympic athletes, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. All right? Paul considered this lifetime a time of strict training. As strict as the training of an Olympic athlete. 
Okay? In Paul's view, this life is training time for the next life. Training time for reigning time. This is what my favorite professor, Dr. Earl Rodmacher, used to always say at Western Conservative Baptist Seminary in Theology 103. I wish you guys could hear him talk about it. Oh, man, it was great. But that was his, that was his phrase, training time for reigning time. So we're freed from the penalty of sin in the past. We're looking forward to being freed from the presence of sin in the future. And right now we can live free from the power of sin through the weapons God has given us. It takes discipline, strict training in Paul's words, concentration, focus on God's priorities. It's hard, but it's worth the effort. Think about it. I have the potential during this lifetime for growth and progress in holiness, learning to think like Jesus Christ. And how well I do in my training has everything to do with the capacity that I'll have to serve and worship and glorify and reign with Christ in the life to come. That's what the parable of the talent says. And that gets me so excited. But maybe reigning with God in heaven doesn't resonate with you. Maybe that doesn't get you excited. And this is why Jesus, I think, gives us so many different kinds of rewards in the Bible. That he's trying to connect with different personality types so that you'll have a reward that you can grab onto, that will motivate you to stick with this strict training in the really, really hard times, the low spots when you need just that extra little bit of motivation. He wants you to have something to grab onto, something that will resonate. And if raining doesn't do it for you, let me, let me throw out a few others. This is not an exhaustive list, but I'm just going to give you an example. This is a sampling. Okay? How about fashion? All right? If you like nice clothes, a nice wardrobe, look at what Jesus said. Or, I'm um, sorry, look at what John said in Revelations 19, 6 through 8. He quotes, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice. It, let, Jesus is reigning now. This is talking about the future, when we're free from the presence of sin. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb, that's Jesus, has come and his bride, that's us, has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen. All right, nothing but the best in heaven. Bright and clean. But listen, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. All right? Not the righteousness from Jesus that cleanses us and guarantees our entrance into heaven. This is the righteous acts of the saints that we do. The good works that we were created to do, as Paul says. And somehow, I don't know how this works, but somehow our righteous acts are reflected in our wardrobe. In heaven. Well, that's something to think about. How about honor? Do you like compliments being well spoken of? Jesus said, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Interesting. Who's going to be calling these saints great? You know, will, will it be other believers in heaven? And say, oh, did you see her? She is a great saint. You know what she did on the old earth? How God worked in her life? How God all got all this glory? Let me tell you about it. You know, and she's walking by hearing this. Okay, was it other believers? Is it angels, maybe? Is it God himself calling us this saint? You, you, you did great. Okay? In fact, that's, I'm not going to go into it, but that's a great study sometime, to read through the Bible, look through all the times that God compliments somebody, uh, whether they're there or not, when God brags about somebody. That's pretty interesting. Okay? But maybe that's not it for you. How about social networking? All right? That's big, right? 
Okay? Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. God says, take your money and use it to connect with people. Maybe give to missions. Connect yourselves with people, groups from all over the world. So that when you get to heaven, you have all these connections. You have all these people you're already connected with who will be excited to welcome you into the eternal dwelling. Maybe tell you about how God used your money to work through a missionary to bring the good news to them. I don't know how it, I don't know how it works, but it's exciting to think about. Or let me show you one more. How about great service? Okay, do you like to go to a nice restaurant and really have an expert waiter wait on you? Okay, listen to what Jesus said. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. See, it sounds just like the parable of the talents. The master's gone away. He's coming back. Be caught training. Be caught preparing for that day, watching and waiting for him to come back. Why? I tell you the truth, Jesus said. He, the master, in the parable, Jesus himself, will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and wait on them. I couldn't make that up. I mean, that is amazing to me. Just to think about that, that Jesus, the picture is Jesus says, here, oh, oh, here you guys, here, let me help you find a table. It's like the maitre d'. Here, here, recline. Make sure you're comfortable. Back then they reclined as they ate. Here, get comfortable. Your waiter will be right back to serve you. And it's Jesus. (laughs) And it says he waits on them. Okay? I don't know. Does he take the order? You know, bring the food? How does the banquet in heaven work? I don't know. But Jesus says, if you serve me during this lifetime, I'll serve you during the next lifetime. That's heavy. All right. Well, I hope one of those resonates with you. If not, search the scriptures. Look for a reward that you can really grab onto. Uh, that you can really look forward to in heaven. Because the Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Find something that will motivate you for the strict training that God expects from us in this life. Well, let's wrap up by looking at one passage that touches on all three of these freedoms together. And then we're going to sing a song that also covers all three of the... the... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not the My Favorite Thing song. That was the last sermon. Please don't run out. I am not going to sing today. I promise. That's good, John. Thank you. Cut. Yes. Okay. All right. No, no. I'm going to close today in the traditional way. We're going to look at one final scripture, and then we're going to sing a song. You guys are going to sing a song. Um, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Listen to all three tenses in here. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, that is past tense. It's done. We have freedom from the penalty of sin because at some point we've placed our faith, our trust, our belief in Jesus as our Savior, and God justified us. But then it goes on. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand This is present tense. We stand firm in the present, sanctifying ourselves, learning to think like Jesus Christ, looking forward to, it says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope means it's future tense. We're looking forward to that day that we'll be freed 
from the presence of sin and will see God's face and will worship and serve him and reign with him forever in his kingdom according to our abilities. All right, we're going to close with Amazing Grace, my favorite song. And as the worship team comes up, I'm going to prepare you, okay? I want you to think about what we just talked about, our freedoms, past, present, and future, and look for them in this song. And I'm just going to tell you so you can see it happening. The first two verses are about our freedom from the penalty of sin, past tense. That's two verses. Then the third verse, there's one on our freedom from the power of sin. Now as we go through this life, and the last verse is freedom from the presence of sin forever and ever in God's eternal kingdom.